us is through the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are given by our God who loves us beyond description and wants His very best for every one of us. And several weeks ago, we began a deeper walk, if you will, uh, a deeper, more intense walk through these ten God-given instructions that Jesus or that God gives us to uh, show us about how much He loves us. The Ten Commandments are given that we would be able to experience the love of God. The first commandment was the fundamental rule. See, sadly, many Christians are in the habit of following other gods. Many Christians, yes, believers, are in the habit of following gods, gods called wealth, power, comfort, desire, addiction. And they follow after those gods in lieu of their relationship with the one true God. But this fundamental rule tells us that God insists. He absolutely, utterly insists that there be no other gods. No other gods, period. And so he says, you shall have no other gods before me, period. Now the second commandment is the focus rule. The focus rule tells us that, yes, we must worship the right God, but we must also worship Him in the right way. God is heard, but not seen. You may see the result of what God does, but we don't see God. God is heard, not seen. Idols, on the other hand, are seen, but you don't ever hear a peep out of them. Amen? I ain't never heard a dollar bill speak to me once. Amen? See, when you make an image, it distorts God. And an image can never, ever, ever be all that God is. And so God says, you shall make from before me no carved image or any likeness. The third commandment is the frivolous rule. In this third commandment, God uses the word vain. And he says, don't use my name like, oh my God, in a way that would make me sound like I'm worthless to you. Or that I mean nothing to you. Or that I am worthless to you. In the model prayer, God's son, Jesus Christ, teaches us how important this is. He begins that model prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, friend, whenever you're speaking to God or talking about God, it better begin by making His name holy. So don't speak the name of God unless you're talking to Him Or you're telling somebody about him. Amen? Amen? See, God loves us. And God knows that we can't experience his love when we devalue the very name by which we know him. 
And so he tells us, don't use the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth commandment is the frailty rule. You see, God knows that we get pooped. Amen? Anybody else here been pooped? I've been pooped. God knows we get pooped, and he knows that when we get pooped, we get frail. We get wore out. We get burned out. And so he established this day of rest, the Sabbath day. That's what Sabbath means is rest. And he established that day so that you and I could regularly disengage from the rat race of this world, amen, disengage from the rat race, but also so that we can come here and get refreshed and so that we can come here and connect with God in a deeper way. God prescribes this for us. Do you know that every single week, if you can't find anything else that God gave you, there's something God gave you every week, and that is this day. This day for you to come to this place to disengage from the rat race and connect with God in a deeper way. It's a love gift that God has given you. And he wants you to use this day to get your soul back in alignment with him. And so he says, remember the rest day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, the fifth commandment is the family rule. We always tell our kids, hey, you better honor your mother and father, right? But I think that this rule, this family rule, this fifth commandment has a, a deeper, more relevant meaning, and that is to us adult children. As we care for our aging parents, they're going to live longer and better lives. And guess what? So will we. How? Because our children will follow our example. Amen? So, the Lord is saying to you, as a result of this family rule, he's saying, will you love your parents the way I love you? Will you love your parents with no demands, no expectations, and no conditions. If you'll do that. If you'll follow that family rule. It will increase both the quantity and the quality of all your years. And so God says. Honor your father. And your mother. Now today we're moving on to the next three commandments. The sixth commandment is. The felony rule. And the felony rule is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And it says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Man, murder. Everybody say that word. Man, it even sounds bad. That commandment seems pretty straightforward to me. Either I have murdered or I haven't murdered. But we think that because our society, because our culture is more civilized, that murder would be less prevalent. 
But what about suicide? Suicide, in essence, is the murder of oneself. What about euthanasia? Euthanasia simply is the mercy killing of those who are elderly, diseased, or terminally ill. Is that murder? So says the elderly. Amen. (laughs) What about abortion? Abortion is this murder of an infant in the womb. Amen. It is what it is. The Bible places every single one of those. Suicide, euthanasia, murder, abortion, all under the same heading. It's under the definition of murder. And God said, you shall not murder. Recent statistics from DisasterCenter.com paint a gruesome picture of our quote-unquote civilized society. Here's what it says. It said there's approximately 15,000 murders every year in the United States. 15,000 murders. That same website said that there are 35,000 suicides every year in the United States. That same website says that there are 1,210,000 abortions every year in the United States. My, my, my. Lord, forgive us for being so civilized. See, as Christians, we recognize that only God creates life. Only God creates life. Nothing is more precious. Nothing is more sacred because we are made in God's image. So to murder a human being is in essence playing God. You are, in essence, uh, trying to kill the image of God. Job said that the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. So if you try to take it, you're trying to take something that God gave. He said, you shall not murder. Now, with this commandment, comes the classic trap. With this commandment, we think things like, whew, man, I'm looking good on this one. Ain't killed nobody, don't plan to. But you remember what Jesus said, don't you? Jesus said, I want to tell you how deep this commandment goes. He said that hatred is a crime of the heart. And from God's point of view, if you murder in the imagination, you might as well have gone ahead and killed somebody. When angers flare up, Jesus said in the scriptures, we are in danger of hell fire. Let me share it with you. You don't look like you believe me, amen? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness 
exceeds, it's greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, Jesus said, that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Who here has been angry with his brother or sister before? Uh-oh. See the danger? He says, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, I ain't never said Raka to my brother. But I know what Raka means. You know what Raka means? Empty head. I've called my brother a whole lot worse than empty head. Amen? If you say to your brother, Raka, you're in danger of the council. But whoever says to your brother, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. See, physical murder does plenty of damage. Would you agree with that? Physical murder takes fathers from their families and wives from their husbands. Murder takes children from their families. But how much does hatred do? How much more does hatred do? How many families are broken up by members either despising one another or being despised? Countless families are broken up. How many marriages are permanently damaged by men and women who vowed before God to love one another, but they loathe the very ground their spouse walks on? How many churches are destroyed by its very members hating one another? See, God loves us enough to seek to protect us from ourselves. That's really what the Ten Commandments are all about. God's desire to protect us from ourselves. God wants to prevent those emotional sparks that might become a raging fire of anger. Now, those raging fires of anger may not kill, but sometimes they wound so Deeply, you wish you were dead. Writing to believers, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, and this is really a fantastic, incredible, heart-wrenching clarification, because he says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, God's love cannot coexist with physical, emotional, or spiritual hatred. Can't have both. You're going to choose one or the other. In the eyes of God, it's all murder if you're hating on your brother. Therefore, he says... You shall not murder. Physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Now, the seventh commandment is the fidelity rule. And in the fidelity rule, God says, You shall not commit adultery. 
Here's something that's really amazing but true. In the 1631 edition of the King James Version of the Bible, the seventh commandment read like this. You shall commit adultery. It actually read that way. Yeah, it was a mistake. The seventh commandment in that version said you shall commit adultery. I guess King James should have paid proofreaders a little bit more money, amen? Uh, anyway, that edition became known as the Wicked Bible because of this very reason. But today, a shocking number of Americans behave like that wasn't a mistake. Although dependable statistics are understandably hard to find, most surveys show a rate of 30 to 60% of Americans have cheated on their spouses. That's crazy, y'all. That's crazy. Now, the Old Testament defines adultery, saying that it is consensual sexual intercourse between a married woman and a man who's not her husband. Or a married man and a woman who's not his wife. That's pretty clear cut. Therefore, adultery is a crime against marriage. It is a crime against God's institution of holy matrimony. But like murder, a lot of people will excuse themselves from the guilt of adultery Whew. Man, I ain't never stepped out on my wife, and I ain't gonna. But once again, Jesus extends. He extends the commandment far beyond the physical. Jesus teaches us that lust is adultery right here. He teaches us that lust is adultery in the heart. Don't believe me? Here were the words of the Lord. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. As I read that, not only do I hear it as the obvious that I shouldn't cheat on my spouse, but I also hear it as a biblical condemnation of pornography. To look at someone with adultery in my heart is the same as breaking this commandment. Now, the Bible is very careful. The Bible is very careful to distinguish between sexual desire and lust. Sexual desire is no sin at all. God put it there. God created it with that. It's given as part of God's plan. Sexual desire is given as a part of God's blessing. But lust, on the other hand, 
is when human beings take that desire and twist it all up. Lust is when human beings take that natural desire and they misplace it and utilize it where it ain't got no business. This seventh commandment recognizes lust and adultery destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It breaks up the home. It destroys our fellowship with God. But it's something else that breaks up. The Apostle Paul reminded Corinthians, believers, mind you, he reminded believers that lust and adultery also damages ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote to that church of believers. And here's what he said. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And then he goes on to say, or do you not know that your body your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You don't own you. You are not yours. You are God's. And honor Him with your body. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You ain't yours, amen? You're not yours. See, for believers, lust and adultery is not only sinning against your spouse. It's not only sinning against yourself. It's not only sinning against your children. It's not only sinning against your church. It's sinning, against, it's sinning directly against the Holy Spirit of God who is in you and who owns you. This misplaced use of a natural sexual desire dishonors God. Once again, the only reason God's telling you this is because he loves you. The only reason for this seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is because God loves you. He's saying, my child, listen to me. Sexuality is my gift to you. When you use it the right way. When you use it the right way, it can bring you great joy. It can bring you great intimacy with the spouse I give you. Sexual intimacy can give you a legacy of children who will carry on a godly heritage. When you use it the right way. Man, when you use sexuality the wrong way, it can be devastating. When you use sexuality the wrong way, it will destroy you from the inside out. It will injure people who adore you. It will injure your children. 
And I don't want them or your friends and co-workers to disrespect you because you have broken your marriage. I don't want you spending the rest of your life regretting, regretting the damage and heartbreak you caused by a moment of lust. Therefore, I say to you, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment is the fraud rule. God says, you shall not steal. You know, when you're a victim of theft, anybody here been a victim of theft? Anybody broke into your home and stolen into your car? Keep those hands up, let me see. Wow. It ain't funny, is it? Ain't nothing funny about it. I remember back in 2007, I was living in Center Star, and I woke up one morning and I saw these funny tracks going across the dew of my backyard. And I said to myself, what in the world? What kind of animal caused that? Amen. Then about an hour or so later, I was still looking at those tracks and I looked out into my shed. And my generator was missing. My generator was missing. So I called for the deputy. Wanted to make a report so I could file on my insurance. And he arrived and he put his investigative skills, his expert investigative skills to work. And you know what he did? He just followed the tracks. <laughs> he followed the tracks all the way over to this dude's house that lived over on the next block. And lo and behold, you ain't going to believe what he found. My generator in his pickup truck. As it turned out, this fella had uh, uh, a record a mile long and had a reputation for a lot of drug history. And even though my generator was recovered, I got it back. I've never been the same. Even to this day, I'm overly observant. Even to this day, I'm on constant watch on my stuff, amen? All because of this one fellow. You see, there's a reason that stealing exists. And the reason stealing exists is because ownership exists. The reason we have stealing is because we have ownership. God has given us work to do. He's given us property to maintain, things to care of, take care of. Things that we're called to be stewards of. But we all know that God is the true owner. Man, that was, that was God's generator. That's the way I view it. That was God's generator. I was just given the responsibility to take care of it. So what was this fellow doing? He didn't steal from me. Because I'm not the owner. He stole from God. He just happened to take it from the stewardship of my back's chin. Amen? That's why stealing is a commandment. Not stealing is a commandment. Because you're not stealing from some human being. You're stealing from God. And he owns it all. 
God said in Psalm 24, verse 10, The earth is the Lord's and all, say all, and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. We are only stewards of what God has entrusted us. The minute you start thinking that what you got is yours is the minute you have gotten off track spiritually. That bank account you got, that ain't yours. That stuff you got in your back shed, no, sir, it ain't yours. You are entrusted with it. You are a steward of it. And if somebody were to take it from you, they're stealing from God, not from you. But can you imagine a world where, where people actually obeyed this commandment? Can you imagine a world where nobody stole anything? Man, the master lock company would be out of business. Amen? That would be pretty awesome. I mean, the billion-dollar identity theft crisis that's going on in our country right now wouldn't exist. Because there wouldn't be nobody trying to steal your identity. My friends down at the Florence Police Department that investigate property theft, guess what? Unemployed. Imagine that. You see, there are only three ways to acquire property. You can work for it. You can receive it as a gift. Or you can steal it. But if you steal it, it's the same as stealing from God. Stealing demonstrates not only disrespect for other people, it's an extreme disrespect to God. Working, honest work, on the other hand, is just the opposite. It shows respect for other people and gratitude for God, toward God, that I get to use my gifts and skills for his glory. Right in the workplace. But there's something else that goes even further. And that is giving. Not stealing and not even working for it, but giving. See, giving shows that you love others. Giving shows that you have faith that God will provide for you. And that you can give and give abundantly. Do you have faith that God will provide? Do you? Do you have faith that God will provide? Is that mentality shown in the way you tithe? The offerings you give? How you give to the World Hunger Fund? How you give to the Mission Moment Basket? Is your mentality about giving uh, reflected in how you give to the fruit baskets we're going to deliver? Is it reflected in how you provide for the food pantry? If you know that God is going to provide, if we know that God is going to provide, the pantry should be overflowing. These little cans should be overflowing with change. These baskets we're making, there should be so much stuff for them that we ain't got enough cellophane in the world to cover them. God has been good, and God has provided. But I think often we actually cheat ourselves 
of how God blesses us just because we're unwilling to give. In this commandment, God is asking you this. Can you trust me to provide for you? Have I proven myself trustworthy? I will meet every need you have if you will learn one of God's greatest lessons. And that is this. Be a giver, not a taker. What a lesson. He says you shall not steal. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I just want to remind you again of what Paul said to those believers in that church. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? of your sin or the blessings of being redeemed.